Welcome to another episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. I'm Donald Dennis, Teen Technology and Gaming Librarian for the Georgetown County Library System. And I am here with... Stephanie Fry. And today we're going to talk about Shushcon, Shushcon, Shushcon. Shushcon! What was Shushcon? It was a free gaming convention that we ran at this library. Three days of games, 8 a.m. till 10 p.m. Friday and Saturday, and then up till like 7 on Sunday. Sunday, Sunday. We lived here for three days. We did. We did. I need to get my cot out of the closet. Is that what that was? Yeah. I thought it was like a trampoline for Eevees or something. I mean, it's multi-purpose. Uh, okay. Well, so we started off ShushCon with our library training day where we had librarians in and we talked to them about computational thinking and coding and computer science and sort of what kind of activities that they could do both utilizing computers and uh, utilizing analog supplies, specifically a lot of games. So many games. I am looking at like a shelf just stacked full of them. A giant tower of games, which we got in the week before ShushCon. Uh, actually, I guess two weeks before ShushCon, so that when all the librarian uh, directors who were here for an event, you know, like seven days before ShushCon... They saw those, and apparently, they were impressed. Yay! <laughs> That's always good. Yeah. How did we start off our big event? So we started our big event by first explaining what computational thinking is. And then we today, we had a meeting with the cohort that sort of ex helped us explain what computational thinking is. <laughs> that that might have been useful. Of course, their definition was not too far from what we had. So what is computational thinking? So computational thinking is formulating a problem and then taking that problem and breaking it down into smaller chunks so that you can solve those and then communicate how to solve those, whether it's a human or a computer, an information processing agent, as they put it, to also be able to solve that. Right. So, you know, if it's going to be a computer, you're going to have to express it in one way. If it's going to be for people, you will express it in another way. And strangely, you know, uh, of course, culture matters for people, as does language, as does a, you know, age or understanding. So, so you're pretty much just changing the language. Yep. And of course, the the level to which you have to break it down. So, it is all it's all pretty exciting, and it it helps people basically break through the problem of this problem seems so big. How do I get around to solving it? Right. Which, it's funny how much you use that just in every day without realizing it. Right. I think we used to call it sort of executive decision-making skills was part of that. That computational thinking was part of that suite. Though, I'm not sure if we use that the same way as other people. So, so you always just think of cake. Mm. Just because it's like, okay, I have a cake. I want to make a cake. I need to break this cake down into, you know, flour and eggs. And then just follow these steps to make this cake. You're reverse engineering a cake is what I just heard. Yes. Are you bringing in cake tomorrow? He said expectantly. Are you going to be here tomorrow? Yeah. Maybe. Uh -huh. We'll see. All right. Well, anyway, so we started with that and we talked to them a little bit and we decided to forego the PowerPoint because last year we had two big PowerPoints, one on justifying escape rooms and why they're cool for your library and another one on how to actually create escape rooms for your library. Wasn't it like 50 to 200 slides? Well, you know, they, we might have gone overboard, but we try not to dwell on them too much, and there weren't big blocks of text, so I was I was not unhappy with them. Okay. 
in this case, though, uh, we instead had a bunch of these games that we had set up around the room, and we walked them through them. So as a group, instead of the, hey, sit down in chairs and be bored, um, we walked them from station to station. And if we had coordinated better with the folks who were organizing games for the for the role-playing game part of ShushCon, we probably could have spread out a bit more, used more of the space, and had the librarians help us pick it up as we went around the board or around the room. And I think it would have worked a lot more smoothly. And also, I don't think we did enough ice-breaking stuff right up front. But that was a me problem and not, you know, not, not the librarian's fault. That was all organizational issues, I think. Right. There was a lot going on. Um, but I think we did pretty good, and it was great the way we had the station set up uh, by age group. Yes, and so we started with our ages three plus, which was sort of the mascot of the con. And what was this? Oh, Cody. it was Dakota Pillar. And yes, so Dakota Pillar is what? What? How, how would you describe this uh, beautiful technological monstrosity? I would describe it as my baby. Hey. Um, <laughs> But no, pretty much it's a little creature that you plug in segments, and then it will do the actions on each of those segments. So it's a programming toy for 3+. plus. Yes. And it's just this pretty durable plastic caterpillar. And, and it is made of the only USB uh, connectors that you will ever not have to flip over three times to plug in. It, it really is. It, this is the easiest USB you will ever plug in. Um. The other fantastic thing about the Caterpillar is that it's got a, a bump sensor on it so that it doesn't run itself into the walls until it breaks itself. It, yeah, it doesn't go crazy. Uh, we haven't dared test and see if it will tell, hey, we're about to fall off a table yet. Um, I'm hoping it does, but also hoping we'll never have to figure that out. But yeah, it's it's glorious because you have the head that, that Stephanie mentioned that is sort of the computer and the big button on it. So... Uh, when you're ready to go, you'll push that big button and you take a bunch of little blocks which have wheels on them, plug it into the back. And so it looks like kind of like a giant plastic lobster with a caterpillar head. Yep. And it'll be like a left turn or a right turn, go forward, make music, sleep, whatever it is. And then when you have the anywhere from one to like 14 or 15 of these commands plugged in, you push the button and it goes and does its thing. Right, and it will just read down the line in the order that you've put it from head to tail. And it's self-reinforcing because it will light up when it is doing that action. So there's no mystery, and the children who are playing with it can, if they're paying attention, if they actually care, because a lot of times they'll just plug things in, push the button, and watch it do its thing without planning anything out. Right. But if they're trying to do a specific thing, they can say, oh, it went wrong here. I need to change out everything behind that, and... And it works. Right. And, and it's fantastic because it does have those signifiers that go, okay, this is why it's doing that. Um, and, and I think that's the entire purpose of the toy is to build that connection between, oh, this didn't do what I wanted it to do because I didn't program it right. Right. And so after years of playing, for me, after years of playing Robo Rally or you know other games that have sort of a program movement aspect, all of these elements are second nature. For people who aren't used to programming some kind of movement, it's sort of teaching a basic literacy in go forward, turn left, which a lot of the other games that we are playing with or that we're showing off also utilize the, that same visual language. So it's like learning the alphabet almost. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and, and I find that fascinating too, is because the first, I think, couple times we ran CS first, I would have kids like call me over and be like, hey, this isn't doing what I want it to. You know what I mean? Yeah. There wasn't quite that distinction that, oh, it's not doing what I want it to because I told it to do what I didn't want it to do. Right, right. And this is definitely, hey, it teaches trial and error. It teaches, oh, I can change it and fix it. So it's it's almost like testing teaches, you know, all kinds of neat little skills. But what it is, is a big plastic bug that you push the button. It's cute. It's adorable. It's the cutest. And it, it goes and it does its thing and it makes its music. And you can see sort of... Uh, uh, we'll have pictures of it. We did races the first day. We, okay, so it says ages three and up on the box, right? But our 13-year-olds were in here doing Caterpillar races the day that they showed up. Because they're adorable. They're, they are. They're just adorable. And there's just something about the tactile nature of them and just how cute they've made this thing that makes you want to touch them. I had some of my friends come over uh, to Shashkan, and at one point, uh, one of them had a caterpillar in their arms and was just petting it because it will, since it's got that bump sensor in there, it will react to being touched and moved around. Yeah. Now, I don't think that we're going to go into unnecessarily all these uh, toys that, to such in-depth in this episode. This, just, is, this one's been so popular. Yeah, it was. We had kids all day Friday and Saturday playing with these. And eventually, it, at some point in Saturday, it got so busy, I moved them out of the area because all of our tables, tables were full. And it's a good thing I had taken them out because by our Saturday afternoon time slot, um, they would have been underfoot and, you know, crushed probably. I would have yeah. cried. Yeah, it would have been sad, sad. Uh, since then, our children's librarian is doing some type of caterpillar-themed thing where they released, uh, you know, put caterpillars, grew them up into butterflies or moths or something and uh, and are releasing them into the wild. And don't worry if it's the right kind. We're not polluting our environment uh, because Amy is brighter than that. And so she used them in there to great success and just amazing. Now, some of the parts, because you get the base set and then they have expansions with extra plugs that you can put in with other sounds or other actions, like a repeat action, which is repeat the previous one that you, the previous action you gave me up to four times. I think it's five, actually. Okay, up to five times. Uh, but you, it's a dial that you twist. So you can say, hey, I want it to be three, two, four, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that not those are not as generally available. So I do not know how much longer Coda Pillar will be in, but by golly, if, if it sounds at all interest to you, I would grab it quick. And, they, and they, it's from Fisher-Price, so it seems fairly durable. Um, and I, people are trying to hack it online, and I wouldn't necessarily do that to yours. <laughs> yeah. I found a forum just full of people being like, I bought this for my child, but I have to know exactly how it works. Gotta love Reddit. You do. You really do. Also, I think they were on sale with Target recently. Ooh. Because I think I saw them for in the range of 35 or something like that. I I don't don't know what their normal price was, but we bought a bunch. I think they're like 50-ish. We got eight of them, and, uh, and, you know, I still need to buy the extra parts. And we will run programs, and probably we're, we're debating on whether we want to circulate them or not. I want to, because after the summer, I actually don't want them underfoot as much. <laughs> but we'll Fair. see. After we did the Caterpillar one, uh, we had some games that you threw on the floor. 
and they did the playing with that. So like, let's go code activity set. And I don't remember what the other one was. Show notes. It's robot races. Yes. So it was the let's go code activity set and robot races. One of which has sort of a twister type mat that, that spaces on it that you can place down. The other one, the let's go code has some really cool foam coating tiles that you put down. Um, and sort of can make a map or a maze or whatever it is. And these are basically games where uh, the kids are walking around doing real life-size coding. And the whole point of this one, I thought, was it was really cool to sort of give them something physical to do. And it feels like a game because they're doing it like a hopscotch sort of thing. And and it's something they work on with somebody else. It's not necessarily something they will do by themselves, though they can. Right. Um I think usually they're supposed to do them in pairs because one of them is the robot and the other is coding their right. friend. Yes, and and they are basically the same game. I like the learning resources ones better than the robot races because the timer that we got with our robot races was busted. Well, and I just I like the tiles better because the tiles you can adjust to any environment. Yeah, um, they're they're fun. Right, and the mat you have to have that larger space for it yep so oh uh, anyway i said we weren't going to review these so after this we will try not to but maybe when we have done our bigger activities with these that that when we played with them a lot more we'll come back and give you more in depth um, but i just had to complain about the robot races being busted when i got it <laughs> so uh and then we went table from table to table you led us down the road to what bunny trails now, Bunny Trails is not non-electronic. Electronic. It has electronics in it. You need batteries. You do need batteries. Isn't it AAA? AAA. Yep. Um, that one's interesting. Um, it, it reminds me of Soro. Yes. So, basically, it's a single-player puzzle, and a lot of these kind of tend to be that way. And in it, uh, you have, here's where you start, and there's the objective, and you are trying to figure out the way to get your little bunny uh, to its objective by placing tiles. And as you place the tiles, uh, you can take your bunny and put it on and say, ah, will this work? And it is basically just creating a path. And, and then the bunny follows the path. The bunny follows the path. And it is really neat with one exception, um, which is that uh, the board that you put together, um, you sort of snap it together and it's two big pieces. And if they are not the same height and on ours, the one that we've got open is not the same height, then the bunny will hit it and it will go angry and it won't be able to go and uh, and finish its trip, even if the person programmed it right. Have you heard the sound it makes when it's angry like that? Um, I I have. I don't remember it. It kind of freaks me out because it? it sounds like it's screaming a little bit. See, I don't remember that, but um, I I was I noticed these things because I need them for my dread horror games. <laughs> okay. Um. And so other than that, it's really cool, great introductory thing. So when you get it, immediately snap the board together and put it together and make sure it works for you. Um, otherwise, um, I think you can actually put tape on the bottom of the board and, and make it a little more permanently affixed so that it will work, but it'll just be more difficult taking it apart. And that well, kind it of won't thing. fit in the box anymore. Too. Yeah, it won't go back in the box. Um, yeah. It's neat, though, because I believe it's got a color sensor on it. Yeah, basically, there's a black path that you're putting down, and it is scanning for that as it moves. And so it'll take the right turn, the left turn, all that kind of stuff. 
just following the path along. It's pretty cool. It is. And it's, it's neat to see the different sensors because you can always use this kind of stuff as an introduction to sensors and what sensors are capable of project-wise. Um, another one that we had from all learning resources was the robot, the robot mouse. Yes, the robot mouse. Um, so the robot mouse uh, is basically a mouse and tiles, and you connect the tiles and stuff together, and then you input commands on the robot mouse, and it will do whatever you program it to do. And so it sort of takes it up the next step. Instead of laying down the tiles and say, ah, here's how it goes. Though you can, they give you little tiles that you can put down and say, ah, here's the command I'm going to give on this block. And on that block, then as the child gets better at those kinds of activities, you can say, all right, now see if you can do it without the tiles um, and just figure out what you need to do. It works great because you can scale up the difficulty that way. Also, in sort of the same format as like a lot of the Think Fun games, both of these games have little mats that you flip over and that the puzzles become more and more difficult as you do them. Um, and it is chunky, beautiful plastic in the robot mouse game. It is. Um, and it's cool. It's got little arcs. It's got a plastic block of cheese. I'm suspecting there's a magnet or something in the nose just because it will react when you hit the cheese. So it's really neat. Um, it's another great toy if you don't mind buying batteries yeah and so it's the code and go robot mouse uh i like it a lot we've had it out here for spring break and uh, some of the kids have come in and played it and it's just pretty it, it does require a fixed set of space um setting up the boards is a little bit time consuming so you may want to have like the challenge of the day set up and and have the kids come in and play it uh and then and then it takes a minute or two to reconfigure it for the next one. And uh, they'll generally just be playing with the mouse and making it do weird things while you're resetting the board. Yep. <laughs> so. The mouse is fun to play with. A lot of these are really great just because of how tactile they are. Um, and I think that's why they're so good for those age groups. And that's exactly why we did our grant the way that we said we were going to, you know, the way that we did was because we wanted to start from the lowest levels because Caterpillar is says age three plus on it, but age two plus can push the button or age one plus can push the button and just squeal the light as the adult makes the caterpillar do what they want it to do because it's an observational toy at that point. So mm -hmm. you're going all the way up here. Um, and so from there, it gets a little hazy. What did we talk about next? Was it the roller coaster? I game? think it was the roller coaster. Okay. So roller coaster challenge from think fun. Actually, I know what it was. What was it? It was robot turtles. Oh, it was robot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's we right, because that's the next. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a ages four and up. I think we may have done that before we did some of the other ones that we talked about. It didn't matter. Nobody cares. No, what we, we did them in our. We did all those, and then we did robot turtles. We sat them all down, and they played around. Yeah. So, uh, robot turtles is great because you've got a caller who is saying, "Everybody, place your item down." If the kids get sort of flummoxed, then they can say, "Oh, I don't like this. I want to." back up and redo it. And then that's all part of that learning experience. Um, so they're placing down the tiles with the directions on it. Um, and so it also uses the same sort of rotate left or rotate right kind of tile. But what's cool about theirs is the turtles have flowers all around them. So 
it will show you what flower your turtle's headed towards so that you've got that extra bit of visualization if you don't if you have kids who aren't super good with left or right or if they're colorblind right and and i think the flowers look different enough that they can still tell what flower and so yes uh, robot turtles was a very popular when it first hit kickstarter and it's nice that think fun sort of picked it up and is you know keeping it exposed to a larger audience and so we had a lot of Think Fun stuff that, that we talked about, uh, starting with, yeah, Robot Turtles, and then we did, what, the Roller Coaster Challenge? Yes. And Roller Coaster Challenge is a 3D engineering puzzle activity where, once again, you've got your stack of challenges, and it tells you how to set up the board, and it's got, like, you've got a pillar here, you've got a pillar there, you have these pieces of the roller coaster already built, here are the other pieces from the roller coaster that you have, and now you build the roller coaster. Yep, and then you put your little, I think it's its like a little plastic piece with a, kind of like a marble? Yeah, it's its uh, exactly what it is, a little metal marble in it, a ball bearing, and yeah. you put it at the top, and it rolls down to the coaster, and if it makes it, congratulations, you succeed. It's really cool to watch go. Now, I have to say, Roller Coaster Challenge, there are, a, a couple of roller coaster games have come out over the past year or so. Roller Coaster Challenge works. That's from Think Fun Games. If you go and you get the roller coaster game from, what was it, Pandasaurus Games or... There's a different roller coaster game. Don't get that one. It doesn't work. So just don't be surprised. That's good to know. Um, oh, and then uh, it was slash slash code time. Oh, that's right. They've got... Um... On the Brink is the first one, right? Yes. And you're basically using the same kind of commode... Uh, <laughs> commode. <laughs> the, the same kind of command codes... That we've talked about in our other other games and activities, except for uh, they have a repeat blocks, or it's not just one code at a time. It's a block of two codes that triggers if you were depending on where you start with, right? Where uh, you start at. There's different colors, and so if the robot is on a certain color, then it will run that command. And then there is rover control. Um. That one's really interesting because you're basically creating a path and you get to actually draw on the boards with dry erase marker. Yep. And uh, then there is... Uh, robot repair. Robot repair, which is basically circuitry powering things up and that kind of stuff. And uh, we've talked about all these on the show previously, I believe. Still my favorite. And... Uh, yeah, so it, it depends on what kind of activity you're looking for, but there are, are a whole bunch and a great deal of variety. Now, we also had some other games out that we really didn't get to deal with during the con, but we we had the new version of Robo Rally, we had Gravwell, Mex versus Minions. Mex versus Minions. All of these are, you know, for probably the ages 10 and up or higher. Some of them are a little for a little older that are great computational thinking sort of activities. So I recommend them highly, but we will talk about them more later. But I think we've, we've talked about the, the trading day, the trade day, just about long enough, except for you then ran escape rooms for them. I did run escape rooms. And so we got to debut the uh, coding one that I built. Yes, that was run. And as we also did the... Uh, and the mummy. Lock, paper, scissors. Uh, oh, wait, I think it's it? the lost mummy or something like that. Yep. Um, one of the escape rooms that we have. And so they had a lot of fun going through your coding escape room. When you were creating the coding escape room, what was your goal? 
my goal was to try to create an escape room where somebody could come in with no knowledge of coding and walk out with at least a little bit of knowledge. And I think I might have done it. Well, it did. It did seem like that at least one of our testers who who tested it here came away saying, "Ooh, I like this coding stuff." Yeah, which was really great. I know we had a college-aged person try it and then be like, "You know, I'm glad I swapped majors to coding." <laughs> yeah, that was life affirming. Uh, having swapped majors before actually knowing if they were into coding uh, makes that all the more exciting. Yeah. Uh, the other the other proud moment during testing actually was the fact that we had somebody who had no experience with coding and wasn't especially good at computers. Um, and they're actually an adult. And afterwards, they were joking about semicolons with people. <laughs> I, I missed that. Um, was that in playtest? Yeah, that was in playtest. They they were like, oh, it's not working because we're missing a semicolon. And if you get to that point, I'm super happy. <laughs> because that means you've learned something. You've at least learned that the commands need to end in semicolons and, you know, to watch out for uh, spelling and grammar stuff. And so the the big thing about the escape room is I tried to make the first set of puzzles um very like you get the framework for how coding works and then as you go you unlock like coding commands that you then use in conjunction with some other stuff you find to actually code out stuff that gives you a secret code now so it was weird because we've done different escape rooms on an agenda before right so you did this eco escape room we were sort of working towards a grant and we were trying to keep some ecological stuff in it but it's not something we can reproduce and put out there i did my local history escape room which has had a budget and props right i mean above and beyond what we had for some of the other the other elements i I think some of them are actually like we could we could reproduce them in a print and play such way but it would be a lot of work to do it it would that but you have created with your uh, coding escape room first of all it was sort of weird looking at it from a completely different angle because it was more technical issues that we were trying to cover right because i can throw in any kind of little bit of history and say oh i want them to learn about um history you know bullets made out of musket balls right and so i can throw that puzzle in right uh and and it sort of works with this one you really sort of had to start with a knowledge set and create those kinds of puzzles I did a whole bunch of the, like a handful of the Khan Academy courses, and that helped a lot, just because I feel like that's where our age group should kind of be at right now, because we're mostly going for the 10 to 15. 10, yeah. 10 to 15. Um, and so I, I think as far as that, that's the sort of coding they'd be doing. So I took classes with that. Um, I already had a little bit of knowledge on um, circuitry. Just mm-hmm. because, I don't know, I really like learning random stuff. Um, so I actually brought my breadboard and wires and uh, LED diodes from home. And we incorporated that into the escape room, too. Yeah. yeah and so, But it was interesting. I think with the exception of that LED puzzle, that, that you could put out your coding puzzle uh, escape room pretty easily for people to grab 
I think so too. And I'm actually planning on it. I just have to replace that LED puzzle. Um, or, well, I think we should include that because a lot of folks have Arduinos or, or other ways to do that kind of LED circuit board kind of stuff. That's true. Um, but there's not a problem with, hey, you can replace this puzzle with and providing that as well. Yeah. So um, I'm liking that. So, uh, yeah, I was thinking I could include a, like, this is what you need for this puzzle. This is how this puzzle runs. If you have the stuff, if you don't have the stuff, I was thinking maybe a sheet of paper of some kind where they have to follow the wires and find out. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Find out which ones actually complete the circuit and use that information. And then that would make it still print and play. But most of it is currently print and play. So. And it was successful. They liked it. Uh, and the kids got into it when they played it here, too. So uh, look for that. And it may even be out by the time this episode drops. We, if so, we'll include the, sh- include the show notes because we'll do a blog post on it. Uh, because, you know, it'll be three weeks before this comes out. Mm-hmm. I will say the full-on framework concepts and stuff that they're learning are kind of hard, especially on adults. I feel like the kids actually do better on this escape room. So if you're running it, you may have you may want to have somebody there just kind of keeping an eye on things, making sure they don't zap themselves if you use the actual breadboard or, you know, making sure that they don't have a lot of wasted effort that makes them get frustrated. Because I have the breadboard puzzle that's like a list of E3 to blah, 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 and then E5 to blah, blah, blah. And due to having a group who didn't know a whole bunch about coding, they immediately started typing in that entire list. So you Mm -hmm. may want to have someone there watching out for that kind of stuff. Yeah, just to help guide it. And we'll have all those. All those suggestions will be in the escape room document that we put out. One thing we forgot was between doing all the games and puzzles and the escape rooms, we introduced them to Google CS First. Oh, that's right. Yes, we did. And so we cracked out all our Chromebooks that we use in our summer programming, put them around a big table, and just gave them the introduction. We gave them one of the little booklets. Uh, Once again, if you've listened to the show, you know that when we talked about the CS First game design, that it is entirely possible just to run it off of the website, or you can contact Google, set up your classes, have them send you the booklets, and it is one of the most amazing things uh, that we've done to boost some of our cool library programming is teach kids the principles of coding and code blocks and code structure. It doesn't actually teach a language, but it was pretty darned amazing. Right. Loved it, loved it, loved it. It's, it's fantastic, and it gives them a great place to sort of start working on games and stuff. Yep. Or various projects. So then we did the escape rooms. After the escape rooms, they came back and we handed out games. Most of the people, I think, left with one or two games. Um, actually, I know they all they all had the opportunity to get a game. I think most of them also left with a second game. So uh, come, you know, convince your boss to send you here and, uh, and perhaps... You should at least get a game. So, I mean... You should get a game, at least for the librarians. We're working on that kind of stuff because uh, we want you to take home some of our coding love. Well, that came across wrong. I'm sorry. Our geekiness. Take our geekiness home. There you go. We did all that, and that was just up until, what, 1 o'clock? Yeah, that was 1 o'clock on Friday, the 23rd of March. Oh. The rest of the ShoshCon is a more traditional gaming event. We had scheduled role-playing games. We had 
uh, uh, open board game areas. We had demos of some of the latest hotness. There was a new Star Wars game that had come out, and so we had demos for that on Friday. We even had play to win. Oh, my gosh, did we have play to win. We gave away a lot of games that weekend. I, yeah, I would say that, that not just what we gave to the librarians, that we gave away over 50 games. Maybe, Something like Maybe that. over 100. I don't know. Uh, by the time it was done, I couldn't keep track anymore. Hey, right. Uh, wow, there was so much. <laughs> and I would have to say a double big thanks to our friends at Mayday for being a huge sponsor. You recognize Daniel. Uh, he joined us on a previous episode about uh, building up your collection. Um, they uh, they are very supportive of ShushCon. Um, and so we love them. Thank you. As well as all of our other wonderful ShushCon supporters, and we hope to get them on the show, and we will talk about them on future episodes as well. But enough about that. Let's talk about our big gaming events. Uh, we ran, what, we had a magic draft that fired off? Yes. Uh, it was the unstable set, so you were in that. It sounded hilarious. It was hilarious, and it actually had computer co- I mean, computational activities in it because of some of the cards. So... Or I guess it had coding, real, real honest to goodness, sort of coding structure. That was that was unpleasant for my opponent. It was great for me. So when are we getting the set? Uh, soon, very soon, <laughs> soon. And then what was the other thing? Oh, we had a giant, another Catan the Big Game went. Yes, that was a lot of fun. Uh, we had we had John Manus on uh, join us from the Swarmcast and the RPG Pharaoh Challenge to run the Shushcon edition of the Pharaohs Challenge. What is that? That is... Um, you were a judge. You were I, a judge on it. I was a it. judge. Uh, so... Oh, that's right. You weren't a judge. Um, I was supposed to be, but for some reason, it didn't happen. I don't know. I guess I took your spot. Um, so what happens is everybody's given an RPG that they don't necessarily know. In this case, it was Era the Consortium, which is the one I ran when I did the Ferris Challenge. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting to be a player in that one. Um, and they're given an hour before the plot hook. I think it's like two NPCs and uh, some other random goodies that they have to work into their storyline. So they had like an animal card that they had to work in. Um, and, and they had some kind of duchess character. The funniest thing was is that the animal cards was a deck of cards that I got from Bylo about a year ago. They had the little uh, packs that they had out. And so I had found one and I opened it. I was like, oh, they should put this in the challenge. And John did. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, the funny thing, too, was that um, this year or this event, they gave everyone the same plot hook and the same NPCs. The animals were all different. But the plot hook and the NPCs were the same, just because they wanted to see how different everything would be. Right. Unlike when we played in it at uh, Scarab, we each had a different game. We each had different plot hooks. We each had a wider variety of things. And I think I actually like it better when they everybody has the same thing for a big bunch of the stuff. I think I like it, too, just because we had a lot of fun as the judges to see how people used the different characters. Like, there was a really common thread of the GMs used both of the NPCs as villains for a lot of the games. Um, I played in 
I think one of the few games where one of the NPCs was actually a good guy, whereas everybody else had him as a bad guy that kept popping in. Hmm. Yeah. I I have no idea how bad of a guy he was in ours, but I hated him. Hated him. (laughs) Um, It's also interesting to see how the player base affected the games as well. Yeah. um, So one of the GMs who won or who participated, uh, it was his second game ever that he'd run. One of the GMs who participated, it was the first time she had ever run at a convention. The two other GMs were veterans from Scarab, one of whom runs the children's track and the other one who sort of runs their role-playing game sessions. And all of them, I, I understand, are skilled because apparently the final scores were pretty close. The game I played in, the GM did a very good job. You could see that there were a couple things that maybe her inexperience sort of held her back a little bit, but it wasn't that she didn't do a good job, right? It was, right. It, was a, it was a fun session and... You know, that's sort of the whole point of the fair challenge is how can you get past the sort of stumbling blocks that you're going to hit in any given game. And the uh, player who won had the most difficult, I'm sorry, the GM who won, rather, had the most difficult players. Yeah, I think he had three players who were all stumbling blocks. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Uh, But because Chris managed to move the game forward and he was originally, he was tied uh, with one of the other players, I keep saying players. <clears throat> he GMs. was tied. He was tied with one of the other contestants, um, and then it just sort of fell down to the well. You had the most difficult players, and you still managed to move the story and make things happen uh, with a little bit of coherency. So, congratulations! He won that little tiebreaker. I wouldn't say little, really, knowing because your brother-in-law was one of them. Oh, yes. I, I I know exactly who the stumbling blocks were. And as soon as, as I told you, as soon as you led those two to that table, I'm like, God help that GM. And so, you know, I I'm, I like Chris. I'm glad he won. Um, actually, any of those GMs. I like all those GMs. I was really expecting him not to win, you know, because... Because of his inexperience, right? He's only run, ever run two games. Right. But I think that because of the role-playing game projects that we've run here at the library, the extreme variety of difficult players and crazy GMs that we've had doing things uh, has sort of led led him to be able to sort of, you know, punch above his weight. He's also played in a lot of, like, really unique games. Yes. And I'm sure that that has also helped just, you know, getting a, a system like that and then still being able to deal with it because it sounds like he picked up the system pretty fast indeed so that's the that's the basics of it um we also had a ton of games going on we had organized play through pathfinder and DD adventures league we had a bunch of savage worlds run thanks to our wonderful role-playing game organizer darren miller ran a bunch of that himself and the most run game at Shoshkan, both in number of GMs and I think number of sessions run, was one variety or another of fate. Oh, yeah. I think we had enough people running it that uh, Evil Hat tweeted. (laughs) They tweeted us. They're like, if you want to go play fate, apparently this is the place to do it. Um, Yeah, Ben was running Dresden Files and his own variant of The Secret World. Yep. Um, I was running Fate Accelerated 
that was a um what was it fate unlimited blade works basically except for you you renamed it fate unlimited dice rolls yes that was a lot of fun that was super chaotic i didn't get to play with it you at the event but i did play test it before it was ever run into con and it was a blast okay gary gygax (laughs) (laughs) um Oh, that was fun. And then we had somebody else was running Fate, and it was... There were two other people running I think fate. there were stolen griffin eggs. Yep. Um, and then I think I think there was a sci-fi one. There was. And... It, in, fate is incredibly versatile. It's exceptionally rules light. It's very story-driven. It is not for all playgroups or GMs, but with our sort of wild, wacky, gonzo sort of group, um, and I mean gonzo as in Muppet Show gonzo, <laughs> that uh, it works very well. Oh, and we had a uh, a Camelot game. Oh, yes. No yes. Wi-Fi in Camelot. Yes. Uh, we also had Dread run by multiple people, Fiasco run by multiple people. Um, we There was no stopping. There was eight tables of games running most, you know, a big bulk of the convention. And I, I was actually really excited to see that I wasn't the only one running Dread. Yeah. That, you, was, that was by... Uh, I, actually, I don't think it made, but it was by Chris. Uh, there was Chris, and I believe there was also Liz Schultz. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. she ran it, too. I think she was running the werewolf one. And I think hers made. Yes, hers did make. Um, just because I think that was running while we did the giant Catan, because I think we heard the dice tower fall a couple times. It, yeah, it was exciting. It was. So I would say that one of the best things that we managed to have happen was because I created the different, and this was not because of what I created, but because of the things that were created and we were getting the word out, people were tagging us to the publisher saying, hey, look, this is being run, that we had publishers saying, oh, that's pretty cool. I want to be a part of this, or are we... We want, uh, we want other folks to know about it. And I probably, if we'd have started that out a month ahead of time, we would have gotten more publicity and we would have had more people show up at the event. Yeah. It was exciting. I feel like we did a lot of interesting kind of new stuff this year because we had badges this year. Yes. Um, we had little wooden tokens for everyone who signed in. They got the ShushCon 18 token. And next year, we need to do something for the people who bring those back. I don't know what, but uh, we should come up with a thing. I don't know. There are a lot of different options. I think this was the toughest ShushCon that we ever did, though, because we had a lot of big events cancel like less than a month and a half out. It's like right as I was about to push the button on advertising them, a lot of these things were on the flyer that, hey, we are going to do this, right? Yeah. And in the end, those were canceled. As we were in the month running up to the con, that was... That was, was brutal. Yeah. That was heartbreaking. I think part of that, you know, can be dealt with by a, a lot more communication than a lot more than people think that you need. Uh, because we had done the con two years previous. We thought, oh, everybody knows what needs to happen and how to do it. Right. And that was not the case. <laughs> not the case at all. And so I was picking up a bunch of those other tasks, and then Stephanie picked up a lot of the stuff that I normally would have done. Like, I probably would have done the buttons, and she designed all that stuff and made it look real snazzy and professional. Well, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Honestly, that was very zen. Uh, yeah, I guess once you get them printed, it, it becomes, it becomes yeah, a, a nice, repetitive, 
non-stressful activity. It was. I think I only messed up one button. Woohoo! We also, I feel like we did really good on the tea this year. Yeah. The, the Friends Library bought us a nice new teapot, but I brought two from home and we forgot to get that one out. So we were actually under teed for the, for the entire event. And I think that, uh, that nobody noticed. It was just a me thing, right? It's like, oh, we had right. the hot water so people could make their own tea because we bought some sampler kits. Honestly, I think that's what they were happiest with was just the hot water and the tea bags. So that may be just the way to go instead of worrying about filling up no. the... No, I have to be able to walk up to a pot get because we're so busy. We don't always have the time to do the. Oh, do you're that. right. And I know that if GMs are sending people out during a game, all right, go take, go grab a thing. That you need to have both. Okay. All right, but that doesn't mean I think that you're right. That the tea thing itself was amazing. Just just picking up that variety pack. See, I just would plop a bag in and put the water and walk back. <laughs> but then again, I like very strong tea. Hmm. Because I just leave the bag in forever. Hmm. Um, the other neat thing was that uh, we had on, honor box for snacks so that people could uh, pay and get the things. And the whole premise is we primed the pump. And then if we ran out, we could then go buy more candy bars or more whatevers. Yeah, we had that. like Snickers and Twixes. And and uh, we had some vegan ones too. And that, that was all Airheads. Neat. Yep. But the best thing food-wise is every year we have a weird food thing. And there were two weird food things this year that we had not had before. One was Southern Recipe pork rinds donated four giant cases of pork rinds, which was wonderful for those of us at the con who aren't vegan. Yes. Um, but there were two different flavors. One was sort of generic salt and pepper, and the other one was a delightful uh, spicy Thai. It said kimchi, but that was a big old lie, but it was still good. I liked it. What? Was it like almost like Thai chili? It was closer to that. Yes. <gasps> Um, but it was. I wish I would have known. No, no, you eaten. don't. You would what? not have. Too spicy for you. I don't know. I love Thai chili. Okay, well, hmm. Thai chili is like my one exception to the spiciness rule. All right, fair enough. Uh, and then the Friends of the Library Student Organization on Saturday, they brought in mini Jimmies from Jimmy John's, and they sold little. You could either buy the sandwich or a little meal deal, um, and because Jimmy John's gave them a discount for uh, for fundraising. And then they did the same thing in the evening with pizzas from Domino's so that nobody had to leave the building to go and get food. So that was an amazing thing just to have, first of all, people lined up to give money to the Friends of the Student Organization and that, that there was just that kind of cool support at the event. And I was just pleased they had made – they said, here's how much we're spending. And they had made all that back by the time that lunch was done. So yep. that everything that they sold in the evening, which was pizza and gamers and pizza, you know how that works, that that they, they sold out a pizza in a hot minute. Oh, yeah. They pro was... probably could have – I don't know if they could have doubled their order, but they certainly could have uh, could have gotten half again as much as they had and sold out. Mm -hmm. And so that was wonderful. It was, was successful on all fronts. The Friends of the Library love us. The Friends of the Library Student Organization will now work with us again. Super exciting. I am pleased. Yeah, because all the money that we did never have to rebuy supplies. So all the money that was in that, in the donations box, went back to the Friends. And it didn't quite pay for everything that we had purchased, but it did close enough that, um, hey, uh, we don't look like we're just a cosmic drain on the, on the pocketbook. It's true. In all, I would say that despite the fact that it was incredibly stressful, you and I had to make almost all the decisions on site. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it was a, riot, a wonderful success. How about you? Oh, absolutely.
absolutely. I know, what was it, Friday, you and me were both like, the world is on fire. And then <laughs> by Sunday, by Saturday, we were like, this is going okay. Yeah. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah, because of because of things that didn't happen and, and stuff up front, we didn't have as many librarians as I would have liked to have had. Um, we still had a great group. The ones who were here were amazing. Oh, they were fantastic. And some of them even stayed for the whole con, which was even better. We had like three or four, maybe five librarians who were here all weekend. And I, I know some of them brought their families. And thank you so much. One of them actually helped me run the escape room when we had a scheduling conflict. Yeah, yes. I think next year we probably need to lean into volunteers a little little harder. I, I think we absolutely do. Um, I know you and I were talking about doing like a quest table. Yes. this We're going to gamify volunteering. It will be horrible, glorious. <laughs> Gloriously horrible. That, yeah, we. I was just in a, oh my gosh, this is going to be a train wreck right up until the first group of people really showed up on Saturday and then... When it was all full on Saturday and I got some, we had some amazing pictures taken and every table had people at it. I was like, I can relax now. I was also really proud. Like most people picked up their buttons. I think we only had. Like three. Yeah, something like that. So that was great numbers on that. One guy got two buttons. Was it Eric? No, no, it was, uh, we're not going to, we're not going to name this guy out. Apparently he signed up twice, once by his. His name and once by what he's called, and he didn't realize that he was signing up twice. How dare. Yeah. Although it was funny, we had a lot of mishaps with some of the buttons. Well, okay, not a lot of mishaps, but some really, like I think some people's Google autofills or whatever Hmm? would happen because under organization, we had a handful where it put like dates, Hmm. like 1992. Um, So yeah, Uh, pre-registration went pretty good too. That was great. We've already had people pre-reg for next year. Um, Which you, is exciting. You can go to the Facebook or shushcon.com and find out how to pre-register for next year. Uh, and if there's something, we haven't picked our, our librarian topic for next year. I think the URL for pre-registration is just tinyurl.com slash shushcon19. Nice. Uh, you know where you can go for that. Check the show notes. It'll be there. We'll put links. And that, yeah, so... And if you have an idea of what you would like us to cover for the librarians, that would be great. And we would love to have folks come and present instead of us necessarily doing all of the talking. Because I think if we could bring in some other field experts, we might be able to learn something as well. Yay, outsourcing. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I think that's a good ShushCon recap. We had way too much fun. We gave away a lot of games. We had a lot. We've had people come into the library since then saying, I learned about this library because of ShushCon, and I live in the area, and I'm going to come play games with you. Yay! So, double bonus success. Now we'll finally have eight-player Soro, right? <laughs> all the time. Uh, all the time. All the time. Oh, that was the one failure I thought we had, was the a lot of our big games didn't make. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, anyway. That's why we need more volunteers. We need someone to take, yes, to take up some of that on-site uh, responsibility for stuff. But other than that, I loved it. I had more fun. I was so wiped out and energized at the end when I got home that night and I started working on prep for the next year. Yeah, I remember seeing you, I think, sharing links with me, which mm. I'm like, he's working on that right now. <laughs> what? Sorry, it was tough to get out of ShushCon mode. No, I understand because I came in that Monday and immediately started doing statistics, started doing, um, making sure... 
you know, double checking over pre-registration, even though I had it ready for actual Shushcon 18. Um, right. Yeah. And, and despite our relatively light density of population here, we had 173 unique people sign in for Shushcon. I suspect there were over 200 people who actually were here, different people. And they said that they were here for 319 days, uh, but not all of them said which days they were here for. So I suspect that, once again, that's probably more like 325, 350 um, in probably. number of days. But we, you know, we know for certain we have this amount. And so I was just over the moon with all that. Yep. We're just going to move the registration table next time. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so um, Shushkan fourth year, we'll be uh, we'll get everything right, right? That's the plan. Totally. <laughs> Absolutely. And, all right. Well, I think it's time for us to wrap this up. Uh, thank you for listening to our Shushkan recap and debrief and decompress. As you can tell, we're still high on all of our excitement that we had there. Um, what was your one favorite memory of Shushkan? Uh, my one favorite memory of Shushkan, I think. It cracked me up. I ran my Fate Accelerated game, and Gary Gygax made the Holy Grail out to be a mimic, and one of the players wasn't paying attention and grabbed it. So, he was eaten by a monster disguised as the Holy Grail. It was Lancelot. Oh, of course. Yeah, Lancelot <laughs> doesn't pay that much attention anyway, so makes perfect sense. I, mine was seeing, actually, we had a lot of young kids here, and one, uh, a couple of them were playing with the Coda Pillars. And one of them basically had it hugged up to her chest as she was wandering around and it was trailing out behind her because I think she had hooked up all of the attachments to it um, and was wandering around and it was making all kinds of cute beeping noises. I I did love hearing the caterpillars all weekend. Just the noises they make are just so cute. All right. Well, um, I think we're going to wrap up here. I'm Donald Dennis. And I'm Stephanie Fry. And thank you for listening to the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. Thank you for listening to Games in Schools and Libraries. You can find out more about Inverse Genius and the people who create the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast by visiting us at inversegenius.com, where we have other great shows such as On Board Games, On RPGs, On Minis Games, and The Room Escape Divas. If you would like to be on the show or have questions, comments, or ideas for episodes, please contact us at schoolsandlibraries at gmail.com. And let us know. We do have our episodes booked out for several weeks in advance, so if you have something time-sensitive, you will want to contact us as early as possible.